0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Saturday the 23rd of February 2013, entitled, When Love Turns to Hate. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 21, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 8 to 10, and 2 Samuel chapter 13. Here's Pastor Lou Guardano. I want to say thank you. I know some of you are... um not going to be here tomorrow, and I want to just express my, you know, love towards you, and, and just uh, I want to say thank you to, to being uh, just the friends you have been to me, and, and uh, I'm out of my element. I'm in a foreign land, and uh, you've made me feel at home, and uh, it's been great talking with many of you and, and you, you know, expressing your experiences and just bearing your heart, really. And uh, it's been a blessing. And uh, I want to encourage you, you know, to go on and, and take your hill. You know what I'm saying? Take your Jerusalem. You know, you are the ones, you are the, the next generation. This, there are, you know, younger people primarily in here. And, um, you know, we've got a job to do. And um, I want you to just be able to realize that uh, you can do the job. And uh, the Lord has called you to that. So one more time, we're going to look... Um, just at uh, some scripture, and then we're uh, going to give you one more message tonight. And if you've got a Bible, you can turn to First Samuel. I know we got some verses on the board. We're going to just look at you know this section of scripture um, first, and then we'll get to these other ones. I'm going to deal with a few different people in here under this topic. The title is "When Love Becomes Hate." And uh, we've talked about a lot of things this week. We've talked about choices, we talked about preparation and how choices deal in that, and we talked about counting the cost. Primarily we talked about forgiveness. Uh, We spent some time talking about love and we talked about what biblical love is. We talked about relationships and the differences and all of this, how to love somebody, all of this to impact the world. And so one more time, I believe the Lord wants us to kind of evaluate our hearts and, again, see if there be any wicked way in us and see if there's something in there maybe that's, that's hiding and festering that maybe we don't know about. And so tonight, just you know, prayerfully let us approach the message and say, Lord, what would you have in it for me tonight? And I guarantee the Lord has something for you tonight. So uh, here in 1 Samuel 16, we see uh, Saul and David... And First um, Samuel 16 and verse 21. Is that what I told you? Did I tell you something else? I hear pages rustling. My, my sister says, why do you always give us the chapter and you never tell us the verse? And then we have to flip to it. I says, well, I don't want you jumping ahead of me. You know, I, don't, I want you listening to what I'm saying. And we, we kind of joke about that. But look at this verse in 16:21. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him. Greatly, the Bible says. Notice that. Don't forget that. Saul loves David greatly, the Bible says. And he became his armor bearer. Now look at chapter 18. We know who King Saul was, first king of Israel. Of course, David is a great man of God, living just the purity of his own heart. 1 Samuel 18, verse 8. The Bible says, And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what could he have more than the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin, in Saul's hand. Let me just stop there for a moment, and just most of you know what the story is here. You understand what's happening. Here we have uh, King David, who's gonna be—he's gonna be king. He's not king yet, but we've got this this man. The Bible says that is after God's own heart. He's a—he's a great man, and he's not perfect. You know, you know the bumps in his life. But he's a young man here. And if we look at him in reference to Saul, we see that he is supporting Saul. He is doing nothing but you know, doing what he should. Saul sends him out to battle, he goes out to battle. Saul sends him over here, he goes over there. There's no greater supporter of Saul than David. He battles for Saul, he's got a different spirit, He's got that excellent spirit the Bible talks about, like it talks about with Joseph and Daniel. David is of that caliber, all right? He's a good man. And so Saul sees that. And Saul, you know, Saul had his good moments, too. We know he has a bad ending. We talked about that with a couple folks today. But Saul had a bad ending. But Saul seen something in that young man. And Saul genuinely, don't miss this, Saul genuinely loved David. He loved him. The Bible says he loved him greatly. He took this guy, he promoted him, he put him next to him. The armor bearer, I mean, you don't put someone next to you that wasn't a trusted man. I mean, to have him be like his adjutant, to have him be his armor bearer was a big deal. Saul loved him. It was like, you know, I trust this guy with my life. And he should have. David was a good man. But then something happened. Something happened that caused Saul to envy David. He looked out at, at, uh, Saul looked out at David and he said, look at, they're ascribing to him more people. They think he's a better warrior. They think he's a better person than I am. And all of a sudden we see this this sin in Saul's life, this envy. You see him turning green with envy and you see all of a sudden it, it change to the point where he's got a javelin in his hand and he wants to kill him. And you know the story, he doesn't do it on one occasion. He chases them all over, even in a foreign lands. What, how much do you have to hate somebody that you chase him into a foreign land to kill him? Think about that. And David let him go a few times. David had him where he could have got him. David didn't do that, but Saul hated him. I mean, hated him. And what I want you to see tonight is how quick it can turn from love to hate. Here's Saul, loves him. One minute, it's, you're right with me, with the kingdom. You're with my very own son. Jonathan is there. David is there. Jonathan says, you'll be next, you know, you're going to be king, and I'll be your next son to you, and there's that love there. Saul, of course, has a change of mind. He sees that, and it causes him, you know, to turn green with envy, and not only that, he wants to kill David. That's significant, because sometimes I look at, situations and i think how could it go bad so quick we're talking about marriages tonight you know this you know during this evening and all of that i've I've had couples in my in my church where it seemed like they're standing there with the wedding vows till death do us part everything's going just fine and they genuinely love each other you know we could question do they have selfish love do they have that but I see people that I think really have good motives they start out right but what happens is sin gets in there and when you don't deal with sin we all it all rises up in us there's there's times where we get envious there's times where we get upset there's times where we get hurt and there's no telling what's gonna be the result of that if we don't deal with that you know this stuff doesn't just happen overnight Saul you know, started to look at David, and I believe it was one thing after another thing after. Sure, we could trace it back to a pivotal time, but this is something that is growing and festering in Saul. Sin is like that. Sin's like a leprosy that grows and festers inside. And here, Saul is ready to kill the very guy he loves. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13. David is on the throne. David comes to the throne. David, you know, finally assumes the throne, and all that takes place in Israel. They're joined together. David has a great kingdom. David has children. The Lord has blessed David. He's a good man. He's got these children. These children become wayward and all that, and I know this section of Scripture. We deal with this section of Scripture with Amnon and Tamar and um. Certainly, we look at Amnon and we say, what a selfish, you know, wicked son that he he was. But understand in this culture, what he desired, it was not really so out of the question. We see that, and there's mention of his sister, half sister, and all that. But the culture, you know, she says, speak to the king, and he would give me to you. It was something that, you know, would have been done. But what I want you to see here in 13 1 says, And it came to pass after this that uh, Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now, you could say what you want. You could say he was lusting after. He had wrong motives and all of that. And you probably would be right on a lot of levels. But let me tell you the Bible says he loved her. And I don't believe that that's a mistake. I believe he loved her. I believe that when she walked in the room he lit up. There was something special about her. He noticed it. He thought, you know, this is this is someone that, you know, I really desire. And, you know, really, you know, he didn't go about things the right way. We know the wickedness that he was planning. You know, Amnon had a friend. All of that bad stuff happened. He plans and, and uh, you know, uh, defiles his sister, and all of that takes place. And, and God's not in a million miles of any of that. But all I'm saying is, is he loved this woman. And then in, in 1315, the Bible says, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Ammon said unto her, Arise, be gone. You know, you think about it. You know, he sinned against her, and yet he hates her. You see how twisted that is? And you say, I I could never be like that. Watch it. Because you get sin in your heart. Amnon felt rejected. We talked about that a little bit, husband and wife. You watch what happens when you have two people that love each other, and you watch a woman reject a man and, you know, reject him. And sometimes they do it more than once in a lot of different ways. Okay, I know your mind's racing all different ways, but I'm telling you, you can be rejected in a lot of different ways. But you want to, you know, anger a man, that rejection, it's deep. We talked about that a little bit today rejection cuts deep. Amnon was cut deep. And instead of giving that to the Lord, instead of of saying, you know, I need to give this to the Lord, I'm not right in this, he let that thing fester. And, and, And just in a moment, it seemed like, and it's astounding that in one moment he loves her, the next minute he hates her. You see that? You see how quick it can happen? Now, sometimes these things take time. I I use the word, it festers, you know, like a wound. Sometimes that cut deep, you know, people react very quickly. There's many times, though, that it takes time. And and a wound is there. And what I see as a pastor is people don't deal with it. Sometimes it starts off small. Sometimes it's a little wound. Sometimes a second one will come by, and it'll aggravate it more. And I've seen people, you know, where, where it just, it, 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 it bothers them and, and they don't get rid of it and they don't give it to the Lord and unforgiveness gets in there and, and all this other stuff. I'm going to tell you something tonight that I don't usually say because of the sensitivity of it is in our church. There's a, there was a situation in our church a number of years ago where we had a, a young man in our church. He grew up, he came in from the inner city and... Um, he came from a, a rough background. He was the youngest of uh, five brothers, and he came to us. And as a young person, he grew up in the church. Lord started to use his life, and, and um, really, God was blessing him greatly. He, uh, he grew up, and, and he married a girl in the church. The girl was uh, really one of my sister's best friends. Her, uh, you know, uh, the person that he married, her father... And my father had a tree-cutting business years ago. So this is a tight, you know, group, you know, seeing, you know, in the family. This is a good girl. They get together. They get married. They go off to Bible college. You go to all Oklahoma. They served, you know, together. Served, you know, he, he graduated valedictorian. You know, served there. Started to teach there. A number of years later, he came back to our church, and he, you know, through a course of events, ended up on our staff. But I watched something happen. I watched trouble in between them. And this couple that had loved each other, had children together, a number of children together. It seemed like love was turning to hate. And it didn't happen overnight. They started not getting right. You know, they, were, they, they didn't get right when trouble happened. When, when the altar call was given, they wouldn't come. When a preaching was preached, they wouldn't get right. And before you know it, I seen trouble in his life. It got so bad where, you know, we had to take him off of staff and say, you can't be on staff. It was a number of months that he was there and their family was there. They're having more trouble and more trouble. And then they were out of church. And in a short matter of time, within probably a year, he was cheating on her. She was cheating on him. And I mean, you just seen all of this horrible mess. The kids were suffering when... When he found out what was going on, he determined in his mind, of course, we didn't know it, and we didn't have a lot of contact with him at that point, but he determined in his mind that he was going to get her. And all of a sudden, she came up missing. And, you know, we feared the worst, and the worst was true. She was dead. I'm not going to tell you how he killed her because it's, it's too brutal to say in this. In, but I'm talking about a, these are Christian people and you think it could never happen you think you know i could never hate someone that much and i'm telling you remember we talked about forgiveness you don't forgive god won't forgive you if you don't deal with things things go downhill fast and i remember you know for 2 weeks we searched for we had a you know i had i'm a hunter and a woodsman we had dogs we had a you know do all we can and in the end he made a deal and I I won't tell you all of that story but all I'm saying is that here's two people that stood together here's two people that had a family together ends in tragedy and 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 what I'm saying is that here you know Amnon sins against her it's his sin it's not her fault but he hates her Absalom kills him all of these troubles are happening one minute we've got Saul loving David, next minute, you know, David's being hunted like an animal to kill him. And you say, How does that relate to us? I don't see the connection to us. There's a great connection to us that we've got to guard our hearts because, you know, a wounded spirit, who can bear? And we've got to make sure that when we're love, we talked about that this week, when we're loving, it's, it's perfect love casteth out fear, that, that our love is, is pure and our intentions are pure because, you know, when we get hurt, when we get wounded, we're going to have to be able to give that to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. I'm, I'm struggling with this. When we get hurt, it hurts. It's real. It's not just, you know, made up. You know, to say, oh, just, you just don't hurt no more, that doesn't work. But we can give it to the lord he is someone that does understand and for us to sit there and and not deal with it for us to sit there and not to forgive for us to sit there and and harbor that envy or harbor that hate that's in there is going to end in tragedy i'm trying to stop a train wreck before it happens i don't i don't know you i don't know what's going on in your lives god knows he knows why i'm preaching this tonight there may be someone in here that's hurt so deeply that who knows what will happen in your life And you say, it could never happen in our circles. God forbid that it does. But I'm just saying, it's tragic when love turns to hate. Let's look at another section of Scripture in 2 Samuel, chapter 17. 1721. The Bible says, And it came to pass, after they were departed, that they came up out of the well, and went and told King David, and said unto David, Arise, And pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophel counseled against you. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order, and hanged himself, and died, and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. This is another tragic story, a tragic story of unforgiveness. Here Ahithophel, such a great man, such a a spiritual man. The Bible says that when he spoke, it was like the oracle of God. Here's King David, who's a great man, but Ahithophel is like the man in the background who gives counsel to David all the time. He tells David what to do. And the Bible says that, you know, his counsel is, is just really unmatched. God uses this man. But see, there was a problem in Ahithophel's life. He wouldn't forgive. If you don't understand who Ahithophel was, let me tell you. Because there was, you know, this situation with David. There was a situation that Nathan the prophet had to come to David and say, Thou art the man. You remember that? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Had Uriah the Hittite killed. David did. This man of God. And Nathan the prophet has to come and say, thou art the man. And this is after a long time. The child dies. You know, uh, uh, all these things happen to David. Years and years and years pass by. The boys grow up. All of these things happen. But Ahithophel's in the background. He won't forgive David. You say, why is it so significant to Ahithophel? Because Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. She sits there and he sees his granddaughter hurt. Here's Bathsheba. She has a wonderful man for a husband. Uriah the Hittite is an honorable man. He fought with David. He's one of the mighty men recorded. And here he fought with David. Here, you know, when David called him in and he tried to cover his sin, he said, Go, go, go to your house. Go be with your wife. Go sleep with her tonight. He says, how could I do this? He stays and sleeps in the gate of the king, and he says, how can I go home and live in luxury when, when, my, when all of the warriors are out on the field? I will not do this thing. I will stay here. This is an honorable man. And David has him executed. He sends him out. He signs a letter, and, and Uriah takes it by his own hand. He's such a trusted guy that David puts the letter in his hand, folds it up, probably puts the king's seal on it, and of course, Uriah wouldn't even think of opening it. David knew that. He gives it to Uriah. Uriah goes to Joab, who is the captain of the guard, captain of the host, and he gives him the letter, and it says, put him in the hottest part of the battle, and then retreat, basically signing his death sentence. And then he does that, and then Joab sends a messenger back saying, you know, let not the king be sad that these men died today. Tell him that, jo- that, that Uriah the Hittite is dead. So he understands what's going on. But all of this Ahithophel sees. Ahithophel was in that inner circle. He's seen what happened. He knew who the, the, the child was. Maybe he didn't know right away, but he found out. And then David takes Bathsheba and brings him to, her to his house. And you see, here's Ahithophel. And he says, you hurt my daughter. She's weeping at this funeral, you know. She's weeping. Maybe they didn't have a regular funeral. I don't know exactly what happened. If they brought his body back, I would think that they would, but maybe they didn't. It could have been a long distance. But she's weeping. She's brokenhearted. Then judgment is pronounced on the child. Bathsheba has to do what? Attend another funeral. If you've never attended a funeral for a, you know, small child, small baby... Let me tell you, it's a sad thing. And here's this mother weeping, crying. There's grandfather again, Ahithophel, there in the background, seeing all of this. And his love for David, his you know, faithfulness towards David, his love for David turns to hate. And this whole time he says, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. He sits in the background. He sits in the background. He does his job. He counsels David. He sits in the wings. David has him there. And then when this opportunity comes and Absalom, his own son, rises up, Ahithophel says, I'm going to join him. This is my chance. I've been waiting all this time, and I'm going to get this guy for what he did to my my granddaughter. I said it before. Sometimes the wounds, when we see what someone does to someone else, to our child, to our family, to our father. I know what it's like to have someone wound my father and see how good he's been to them, and see him stab them in the back. And I'm telling you, if you, if you live long enough, you will see it. And the thing is, is that I could sit there and say, I'm going to get that guy. Or I could say, I'm going to give it to the Lord. Ahithophel says, I'm going I'm to take care of it myself. And he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks that he's you know, going to make everything right, and justice is going to finally pr- be pronounced. But there's one problem. They don't heed his counsel. It doesn't go the way he plans. God is in control. And when he sees it doesn't work out, he goes and takes his own life. It's too much for him. He's selfish. He's unforgiving. And guess who has to come and attend another funeral? Bathsheba's there again for grandfather. This great man that's so well-respected has hung himself. You see, when we, when we have hate, when we have unforgiveness, we think we're going to hurt the person that we want to get even with. But always it seems to impact other people. You know, they, uh, Joseph's brothers, Joseph's brothers, you know, they hate him. And they say, we're going to get Joseph. We're going to, we're going to do this to him. We're going to do that to him. And they end up hurting their father, the one that, that, that they love. And as crazy as, you know, Jacob's sons were, they, had, they respected their dad. They loved their dad. And in the end of the story, when Joseph is talking to Judah and he says, he says, you know, leave Benjamin with me, Judah breaks down. He says, I can't handle it anymore. I will, I will put it on me. How could I go home to him, to, to dad again, and see his broken heart? I can't, I will not stand it. All of those years they so, so watched that old man broken down. They thought, they thought that he would just forget about it. Joseph would be dead, it would be done. But the thing is, is it didn't end that way. Year after year went by, and and there's Jacob brokenhearted, and it tore those boys up. And the whole time they have to deal with this, all because of hate, all because of unforgiveness, all because of doing things not the way God has it intended. And I'm telling you, when love turns to hate, it's a a bad thing. Look in 2 Samuel 14. Another story here. 2 Samuel 14, verse 22. Let me show you here another story way this can happen this story the bible says the old testament was given for our examples we go there we look because we could say it could be this could be us 1422 and joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king that's talking about david here's joab joab is related to david okay He bows before the king. Joab is also the captain of the host. Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gesher and brought Absalom. Absalom is David's son. He brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Now we'll go to 18, verse 10. 2 Samuel 18.10. Absalom rebels. He goes against his own father. He leads a rebellion. A, a, a civil war breaks out. Absalom gets hung up in the tree during the battle. And a certain man in verse 10, 18.10, and a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, and behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not spite, smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai, and Atai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. Here is a family matter. Here is Joab. Here is, you know, a relation. These people are close. They're, they're kind of cousins. And Joab, when Absalom had slew his brother Amnon because of what he did to Tamar, David kind of expelled him. Joab wants to see him reunited. He sees something in Absalom. He sees a leader. He sees this is a good man, this is, and this is family. And he wants to see this restored. And Joab did that at times. He would come to David and he would say, King, do this, and King, do that. And and he really did care for David. Joab cared for David. The problem with Joab is that he just did what he wanted to do when he didn't agree with David. He always did what he thought was best instead of listening to the king. But he genuinely loved, he cared for Absalom. He goes and pleads to the king. He gets down and says, you know, he goes through all this rigmarole, has a woman come in, say all this stuff, and David says, I know who put you up to this. Joab put you up to this. And she says, oh, yes, king, you, 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 you're right, you know. And then Joab comes in there. We read that scripture where he said, now I know that you've found grace in, 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 in thy sight, O king, because you're going to let Absalom come in. So Joab takes up Absalom's part. Do you see that? He kind of represented Absalom. He, he put his name out for him. You know, he, he said, you know, I, I, I think this is going to be a good move. He brings him in. Then we know what happens. Absalom, he's kissing hands, you know, he's hugging babies. He's saying, oh, you know, that I were the king. Oh, you know, the king is old and no one's hearing your problems, but I'll hear your problems. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's pulling people in. He, he's He's starting to do this snaky thing. Now, Joab's got his problems, but one thing Joab is, is he's, you know, in step with the king, at least at this point. He's in his position, and he doesn't want nothing to happen to that kingdom that he has fought for all these years. And here's this snake, you know, kid, who's not a kid anymore. He comes in there, and he leads this rebellion against David. And all of a sudden, you see Joab turn, where at once he loved that boy, and now he looks at him, and he hates him. The Bible says that he threw darts through his heart. Think of the picture. Here's Absalom hanging by his hair. This guy is a seasoned warrior. He could have threw a spear through him. He could have cut his hair down. He could have cut him down right there. The Bible says he made like sport of it. He threw these darts through him. They cut him down. Then it says that his men compassed around Absalom, and they brutalized that boy. The Jews made a big deal, you know, to preserve the body. And I'm telling you, he, he, had, and he looked on when that happened. How can you get to where you're pleading for this, and, and this is family, I love you, and then the next minute, it seems like, you're standing there saying, get him, do it again. Kick him again. Make him suffer. And he hates them. And it's vehement it's in him. Love turned to hate. We better guard ourselves. We better guard ourselves. Or love will turn to hate. This can happen. I've seen this happen between father and son. I've seen it happen just in the church. You say it can't happen. I'm telling you, it happens where a father loves his son, but all of a sudden son, a son does something that embarrasses him, something that you know, causes shame. You know, here here, uh, Absalom embarrassed. He made him look bad. You see that? He made Joab look bad. And I'm telling you, fathers watch out. Kids watch out. My dad, he embarrassed me. He, look what he did. He caused shame to our whole family. And I'm telling you, love can turn to hate. You don't guard against this. Love can turn to hate, but hate can turn to love. I thank God for the examples in the Bible that show how hate can turn to love. You know, one has, you don't have to go further than to see Saul. Saul, Tarsus, breathing out hatred against the church, right? God meets him, meets him on that road. Things start changing. And all of a sudden, this guy who hates the church, he's dragging him out. He's doing all these things. He's wreaking havoc, the Bible says, of the church. And all of a sudden, God shows up. And I'm telling you, hate <laughs> turns into, this is the greatest thing in the world. He realizes, I'm a sinner. Oh, I can't believe what I've done. He goes around preaching to everybody. And he's, he's beaten. He's whipped. He's in prison. But it, the love that filled his heart, it doesn't matter because hate turned to love. And I'm telling you, that can happen for you. I don't know where you're at tonight. You may be sitting there and, and thinking, I still have something in me that is towards somebody else. And you're a Christian. You may, be, you may be here, and you've never given yourself to Christ. You may never have been born again because there's something in you holding you back and saying, what kind of God would put me through this? What kind of God, you know, would allow this? And, and you have not given that to the Lord. And I'm telling you, just like we were saying on the street, give it to Christ. We, I met a guy, we talked to that guy, who t- a bunch of you guys talked to that guy that was kind of talking creation, science, and evolution. There's a few of you guys that were talking to him. I know a bunch of you. But when they started saying they're going to pray for him and all that, I'm telling you, you could see that guy. He was getting mad. And I'm telling you, I guarantee it. I've counseled with enough people that I could see that look in his eyes. And he has been hurt before. He told me that he, his father was a preacher. That's another telling thing. And I'm telling you, when something happens in your past, and you just hate, I don't know why God, what kind of God would, would, would do that? I'm telling you, we don't understand God. God is, God is love, and I'm telling you, when we, we, we give it to him, he heals it. There's a, there's a, a lady that I got a chance to meet. One of, the, one of the highlights of my life, I love military, I love people that have, uh, you know, uh, Served our country in America. I'm very patriotic. You know, I'm American to a fault. Okay. All right, I admit it. But, you know, we had this big military day, and uh, we were honoring all these military people, and we had a bunch of Vietnam veterans come in, and and, uh, through somebody else, a, a guy that I know that is a history writer and a Ph.D., and he interviews people all over. He writes history books. He had this contact with Kim Phuc, who is the girl in the picture. Now, that may not mean a lot to the younger folks, but some of you, you know, the older ones might remember that picture from the Vietnam War. It was it was said, you know, it was a Pulitzer Prize picture said to stop the Vietnam War. It's a picture of uh, a bunch of people running out of a village, these Vietnamese. This this nine-year-old g- girl is been napalmed. The city has been napalmed. She, her clothes are burned completely off. Her, there's her, her back is burned, her arms are burned, and she's running out in terror and in pain. And that pro, there was a guy that took a picture of that, and that went all over the world. And everyone seems to know, certainly Vietnam veterans know that picture. That woman grew up with burns all over her, all over her body. She would say, when I looked at myself, I would see that I was ugly. I would see what America had done to me. And she hated America. She hated what those soldiers did. It was an accident. It wasn't intentional. And there was a man named John Plummer who organized that. He claims that he was the guy that gave the order or he had something to do with the planning. And he ended up meeting her years later. And that was a whole nother story. But here, Kim Fook hates and she's hurting all the days of her life. They took her and they had her marry. They made her marry this communist, and then they took her all over, using her all over the world for propaganda. And they had her, you know, basically say and showed this girl, and the communist guy would speak and say, look at, look at America, look what they do. This is America. They would promote communism. And they used her that way. But things started to happen with her, and, and the Lord was opening up her eyes, and, and she knew she wanted to get away from this communist regime. She knew it was wrong. She started talking to her husband she started to win him over to that kind of thinking that we need to get away from this communism they went to Canada and they had a plane there they had something going there that they were supposed to be doing there and when they got over there they snuck out and they defected they're still there today over in like the Toronto area so Kim Fook uh she came and spoke at our conference, one of the biggest conferences we've ever had. We had this big military day. There was vehicles all over. There was people with all kinds of awards from the war. They came and heard her speak, and you should have heard her speak to these veterans. She sat up there and gave her testimony, and she said, she said, I used to hate Americans. I used to hate GIs, and, and she says, but God did something in my heart. She said, I had all this blackness in my heart. And she said, when I started to give it to the Lord, when I started to pour it out, she described it like a black cup of coffee in her Vietnamese, you know, broken English. She said, I poured out that black cup. And she said, when I poured it all out and it started to come out and it took time, but when I poured it out, she says, and it was out, she said that God began to fill it. And she said that God came into my heart. And she said, you know, I know where I'm going when I die. And she gives a wonderful testimony. And she looks out at the GIs and she says, she says, I love you. She says, I, you know, I want you to be saved. And she witnesses those guys. And I'm telling you, you're like, Phew, you know, when you just sit there and listen to the love that's just oozing off that woman. I emailed her a month ago because I hadn't seen her in a number of years. It was the highlight of my life. The, every news station was there. I was a younger man and, and um, I, was, I was the one that was to give her the flowers on the platform. They had a dozen roses made up, and they told this uh, company, they said, they said uh, that every news station is going to be there, so you better make sure these are the roses of all roses, and you should have seen these things. I mean, ladies, you would have went crazy. I mean, it was this, you know, I came up there, I presented it to her. We had a, we had a Marine Corps you know, officer that preached that night. It was a wonderful night. I gave her those roses. I shook you know, her hand. And then it was my privilege to stand by her. I was like her guard and her, you know, uh, guide to, you know, just make sure she got through the crowd. And then she, she spoke. I heard her speak to this veteran and this one. And these people aren't saved people. These are just vets. And she would just would pour out love and pour out love and pour out love. And I, and I just thought, how, you know, how's this woman? You know, she, she was so filled with hate. But when God came inside, it just seemed like love just... Changed everything. And I'm telling you that God can do that for you. You know, I talked to her just a month ago. I didn't even know if she remembered me. I, I sent an email to her. I said, we're going to be doing another military day. I don't know if you remember me. It's been a number of years. You might remember my dad. He's a big guy with a beard and all of that. And I said, you probably remember him more, you know. And I said, I gave you the, the flowers on the platform. I talked to your husband because I thought it took great interest in talking to her, her husband, who was a former communist that got saved through all of this. And he just he just says, you know, she's got something to give the world. And so he supports her all the way. She gets all the limelight. He sits in the background. And I, I said, you know, I'm just so amazed by you. But she emailed me back, and she said, oh, I remember you. She says, oh, you know, what a wonderful thing. Oh, you know, I can't come on that night. But, you know, and, and I'm just telling you, her attitude, you can't even describe it. And I'm saying that we can have love turn to hate. I know many of you in the auditorium tonight, you know, you're... Your heart is pure. Your heart is young, many of you, and, and, and you have love in your heart, and, and you want to start out right. But I'm encouraging you to make sure that you don't let things come in between because if you do, it's going to have a bad ending. Some of you might be here tonight, and, and you're thinking, there's something in there that I just can't seem to get rid of, and I know it's going to cause me trouble down the road if I can't get rid of it, but I just I'm struggling with it. That's fine. Be honest with the Lord about it but say, Lord, I need this thing cut out of here before it's too late. And then there's people in here tonight, I'm sure of in a crowd this size, that you have never put your trust in Christ. You have never asked the Lord to save you. You have never done what she has done and said, Lord, I'm giving you all of this. I'm giving you my life. And there's things I don't understand, but I'm giving it to you, Lord. And maybe tonight would be the night that you could call on him and say, Lord, save me. Tonight, I'd like to have heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to ask you a few questions. I'm not going to be pushy or do anything. You know, I'm going to turn it over to Brother Curtis in a minute, but I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And I would just want, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of preaching. We've heard a lot of teaching this day. And I would, if you just would be able to signify with a hand just some of the questions that I had put to you. Maybe you're here and you're in that situation where there's something in your heart, you, you're struggling with it, you feel like you can't get rid of it but you want to get rid of it. Would you be honest and slip your hand up and say, that's me tonight, Brother Lou? Appreciate that honesty. Just slip it up, put it back down. Any others, just slip it up, put it back down. Appreciate that honesty. How about folks tonight that maybe Lord's knocking on your door and saying, you know, you know you've never been born again. You've never given it to me. You've never, you don't have assurance of salvation. You know you don't have that love in your heart. You know that there's not been a transform in your life. But you want to be saved. Would you slip your hand up? Put it up so I can see it. No one's looking around. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I think we trust you enough by now. You know me enough by now. Just slip it up. Put it down. I will pray for you. I don't see any hands. Appreciate that honesty. See that hand. Is there another I don't know the Lord, but I want to know the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Curtis here in just a minute. I'm going to have a word of prayer. Turn it over to Brother Curtis. He's the pastor here, and we'll do whatever he thinks is best. I appreciate the hands, but I want to pray for you one last time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just help, Lord, this situation. Lord, as we have invitation time now, Lord, I pray that you give the preacher wisdom. Deal with hearts whether in the seats or at the altar. Lord, I pray that we would just be able to have an old-fashioned moving of the Holy Spirit tonight. Folks won't resist you, Lord. I appreciate the young people, Lord, the young couples that have just been wide open hearing these messages. And Lord, tonight, I pray that you deal with this situation. Lord, for this one that's raised their hand, wants to be saved, Lord, I pray that you'd work in her life. Lord, I pray that you would just do what I cannot do, Lord, may she give over to you. Lord, if she's holding on to something, Lord, I pray that you would just grant the power to just let it go. Help her to come to you by faith like a little child. And for those, Lord, that are struggling with this thing, Lord, show them what they've got to give up. And Lord, I pray that they'd be able to leave it at the altar. Bless now the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.